Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Allison Interviews podcast. I'm really excited to bring you this interview with Pakistani-American actress and filmmaker Aza Fatima. So here's the story with Aza. Her manager, Jason Steinberg, is an old dear friend of mine from many, many years ago. We go way back to when I was, I think, 19 or 20, and I was doing a summer internship with Jason when he was managing mostly comedians. And funnily enough, one of the comedians that he actually managed for the longest time was Dave Chappelle. So I was just like in all my glory when I was doing this internship. Here I am, I'm this little 19 year old. I'm taking the Long Island Railroad from Long Island where I went to college into the city. I'm going to work for Jason every day. I'm meeting Dave Chappelle, Jim Brewer, Daryl Hammond, Wanda Sykes. I mean, just all of these phenomenal comics that have gone on to have amazing careers. And that internship just holds such a special place in my heart, like to this day. It was, I mean, you can just imagine it was like the most bomb experience ever, okay? So anyway, so um, Jason currently manages Aza Fatima, and she is just absolutely unique in that she is a filmmaker, she's an actress, and she is an activist for really helping to change the narrative about Muslim Americans. And I know what you're thinking because It's such a lightning rod, right? And I felt the same way. I will admit, as a Jewish American, I always held a little bit of prejudice in my heart. And I wouldn't even necessarily call it prejudice, but maybe just kind of like a giant question mark, like a fear of the unknown. Like, Muslims, who are they? What are they? What are their beliefs? What's going on here? We have all this conflict going on in the world. It's just kind of a confusing topic. And I have to tell you, to sit down with Aza, a Jewish woman and a Muslim woman, just sitting down, chopping it up, talking about her new film, Americanish, which, by the way, I'm so excited for this film to come out. Right now it's on the festival circuit, and it's coming soon to one of the streaming networks, fingers crossed. It's called Americanish. It's about a Muslim American family, Pakistani, living in Jackson Heights, Queens, New York. And what's so incredible about it is that she really does amazing work with this film in that it's funny, it's human. She really makes a Muslim American family of Pakistani descent just completely human, relatable, like we all are, you know, no matter what your religion, no matter what your race, no matter what your nationality, origin, we're all relatable, like Ellen DeGeneres said in one of her stand-up specials. And that's one thing that she said that I actually agree with. You know, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe in, no matter what color your skin is, no matter where you live, we all share this human experience. And that was the greatest thing for me to really have this aha moment as we were sitting down and First of all, discussing how many things that Jewish people and Muslim people have in common. I mean, my God, like the parallels were uncanny, like I have to tell you. But the fact of the matter is, if we all sat in a room together, we would find that we have a lot more in common than we don't. So without any further ado, without me babbling on anymore, I present to you this interview with actress, filmmaker, and activist, Aza Fatima, and her film, Americanish. How old were you when you got into acting? 
Oh my God. So I was very late. I was already in my twenties. I'd already gone to school. I'd already graduated and I was getting, I was working at Google at the time. And, you know, I was like 23 years old working at Google. Which just so like anyone who's listening, when they hear this, they're going to be like, what do you mean? She was old. She was in her twenties, but in that field, that is considered getting a late start. Yeah, as an actor, you start when you're nine and then yeah. your career launches by the time you're 30. So to be yeah. in your 20s and thinking about acting, you're so old already. I mean, I actually had people say this to me. Like when I when I said I wanted to make the shift, a lot of people were like, aren't you too old? <laughs> yeah, it's such a like, weird oh, business. Maybe, I know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm a little too old. Yeah, it's so crazy. Okay, so I watched, is it pronounced Americanish or Americanish? Americanish. Yeah, just Americanish. Americanish. Just like blackish. Same like thing. blackish. American. Yeah, like the many shades of America and being American. Right. That looks like, yeah. Okay, so I watched it twice. Oh and God. you're like taking notes. <laughs> no, it just, okay. So here's what, like the first time I watched it was last week and I was like, okay, you know, this, this is a cute movie. I watched it again last night and I'm like, this movie is really important because it is a conversation starter. Okay. And I think that is just so important with everything that's going on in our world and in our culture right now. And I don't know if that's what you set out to do, but tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I feel like in some way I've always been trying to do that. So the film came about because I have a one woman show that's called a comedy. It's a dirty pack called Dirty Packy Lingerie. And I started performing that in 2011. And this was while I was still at Google. And so this film came about because I was performing in New York City at the Cherry Lane Theater and the filmmaker, director, Iman Zawari, happened to be in the audience that one day she was in town visiting for her birthday with her family and friends. And they all came in to see, they saw the poster and the poster is a woman in a hijab holding Mm -hmm. up a piece of lingerie next to her body and she's laughing and it's just joyful. (laughs) (laughs) So she saw the poster and Iman is actually visibly hijabi. So she wears a hijab. So she's visibly Muslim whereas you know I'm not you can't so I have the time people think I'm Hispanic so I just like whatever people are you can't tell so it's such a different experience I think for her so she felt really represented just through the poster then she came and she saw the thing and then she really loved the stories and she's just Egyptian American and obviously I'm not and so the stories are you know Pakistani American and so the stories of the women in the play are also from Pakistan and stuff and immigrants and American Pakistani women. So it's like a mix of things. She approached me. She was like, do you ever think about turning this into a film? And I was like, you know, I actually have been because I've been thinking about how to reach a wider, reach a wider audience. I had just come back from the Edinburgh Fringe, which is the largest theater festival in the world, performing this one woman show. And a lot of that was about conversations. So That's not cool. just, I want to create conversations. I wanted to create conversations just within my own community about all of the issues that the film talks about that come from the play, which is issues of identity, sexuality, relationships, religion versus culture. What does that look like? You know, racial profiling, bullying, like there's all these themes are in the play. So yeah, so the film was it. I knew I wanted to do it. So I set out to do it. And what I did was I kind of looked at the play and it's just a series of monologues. So I was like, oh, like, how do you make this into a narrative feature? I have no idea. A series of monologues about your actual life or was it fictional? No, it's not fictional. It's not about my life. It's actually based on interviews I conducted within the American Muslim community and research based also. So, 
Yeah, I so it's like it's characters that range from a six year old girl to a sixty five year old woman. Oh, but wow. then yeah, so but then we had to part with some of those characters for the film because I was like, what makes sense in this world? And what made sense in this world were the younger three women because they could in the play they're not related to each other. But I was like, in the film they're similar enough ages we could relate them to each other. Like they could mm-hmm. be. You know, stick together and, and hang out together in some ways. And then the mom, the mom made sense. She also comes from the play. And then when I looked at what those characters, I just looked at what things those characters talked about, right? So that those were all that I was like, how do I bring these themes into the film through these characters? That was one thing I wanted to keep intact. And the other thing was I literally like went through the play, highlighted all the jokes. And I was like, okay, I need to figure out how to rework these jokes from a monologue thing into a feature film. Because <laughs> I want to keep okay. <laughs> I was like, because I know these jokes land with a live audience on a stage. So I want to make sure I preserve that funny, you know. And it was so interesting that we ended up going with this rom-com genre. Has there ever been a, a rom-com about a Muslim American family before? This no. is the first. This is okay. the first. It's crazy. This is the first. And it's 2021. That's but huge. But that's huge that this is the first. Yeah. This is like that's a moment. It's a moment. I hope it's a moment and I hope mm-hmm. it becomes a movement and I hope many, many more come after us. I really do because I think that's how you create movements, not just one person doesn't by themselves, you know? And what's also interesting is, okay, so I'm Jewish and mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of similarities here because we are also a religion and a culture, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like you're, you're a religion and a people. And the people, well, this was the thing, so absolutely, and so this is the thing that's actually come into, like, you know, into conversation more recently, like, when I was growing up, it was so interesting, because I grew up in Mississippi, in a very small town, and so it was always, like, my parents were always, like, you're Pakistani, this is who you are, you're Pakistani, and then the Mm -hmm. world would be, like, well, what are you, you're not American, and so everybody, everyone was always telling me I was not from here, so you were born here, I was actually born in Saudi Arabia, but I was in a compound with a very freaking American upbringing. It is so hard for me to explain this. I grew up on all the TV shows and all the American everything. You know, we went to a school. It was like all English was spoken. It was like also American. So, so hard for me to sometimes like convince people like, no, no, really it was very American. And then of course, Mississippi. And I feel very American. Like this is where I feel at home. You know, actually Mm -hmm. New York. I feel like a New Yorker. This is mostly where I feel at home In, in all of America. I feel like I belong in New York. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think, but it's only because like, you know, the first generation people who came here, they had really lived their whole lives in another place. They wanted to hold on to that so badly and they wanted their children to hold on to that so badly. Mm -hmm. So this whole conversation of being a hyphenate, like being an American Muslim, you know, for us, it didn't exist until a few years ago. So as an adult, honestly, I've had to unlearn all of the stuff I learned as a kid about not belonging, not being from here, literally, and like figuring it out for myself and be like, no, no, this is me. This is my home. This is where I belong. But this is an important point because there's a lot of it's like a fear-based thing because in my community too, right? So you have the Jewish people who came here through Ellis Island and they came to the Lower East Side and it was like, no, just stay with your own. And they spoke Yiddish. They didn't, some Uh, of them didn't even speak English. 
right? And and I think like you have different groups in New York, like the Italian, the Irish, you have all these different groups that came here. And that's what's so interesting about New York. And, yeah, and I know I that you didn't that. grow up, in, you didn't grow up in New York, but mm-hmm. you have, it was that in the early 1900s, they came in on boats and it was like, stay with your own, don't trust mm-hmm. anybody else. They may not like you. And this is what you are. You know, even in, in the movie, I was laughing when there was that character, the father who was, he broke down because his daughters <laughs> did not want to marry. Was it his daughter or was his son? His, his son his did not want to marry Muslims. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah and there's a feeling of like, we're losing ground here. You know, we can't lose members. <laughs> you know yes, I mean? it is though. Right. But it's also like, it's just like, it's so interesting. Like, I feel like the younger generation, we kind of look at it in such a different way. We're like, we're gaining, you know, we're gaining more, we're spreading the love. Like, yes. you know, yeah, it's such a different, and I think it must've been, I feel it, man. I feel like it must've been so hard for my parents mm-hmm. and like generation to come from this whole, whole other place to a country that didn't want you, told you they didn't want you in many different yeah. ways. And you felt like you didn't belong and you felt like you had to hold on to so much of your identity and your culture and all of that stuff, you know? So there's so much of being that this is a, what they call a Judeo-Christian society, right? Like the West, America. So there is this narrative of if you're Muslim, you're not one of us. You're like, you're other, you know, that's not what America is. America is a Judeo-Christian society. So where do you fit in? And then it got amped up even more after 9-11, right? Um, So tell me about that experience. Tell me what that's like as a Muslim American. Yeah, look, I mean, I think as a little kid, I was just like, didn't want to have anything to do with any of it. I was like, I don't want to have anything to do with religion. I don't have anything. I just want to be like everyone else. And yeah, and in my world, being like everyone else was like Mississippi in this little bubble, you know, everyone was like super blonde, super cute. (laughs) that's what normal was. Yeah. You know, so yeah. But then as I got older, I, of course, and like finding my way into an artistic career, I just like, I just realized I was like, man, I can't, I don't want to be like everyone else. I have to honor the parts of me that make me different because like the world doesn't know, like, this is what a Muslim looks like, you know, not like a bearded dude with a sword saying Allahu Akbar. No, it's like a girl saying, hey, Allahu Akbar, we're going to make it. We're making a film. Allahu Akbar. <laughs> you know, it's that. It's that. It's just like kind of reclaiming that identity and, and exploring it. And again, like, and I love that you said it's like a conversation starter. I mean, I think that's the whole point. For me, like, I can't make art and not marry it to my activism. I don't know how to do that. I think it's always, for me, anything I create is always going to be some kind of a conversation starter, you know? Mm -hmm. And here's another interesting thing. So I don't know if you were, if you had a say in the casting, I would imagine you did because you were a producer. Yeah, which was fun. Yeah, no, Iman and I, Iman was really gracious. And I know it's film is such a director's medium, but she has really made sure so much of everything, my voice as a writer got preserved. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in all the casting sessions. We made the decisions together. And even in the editing process, we were making decisions together, which was hard, which was hard to have like two voices. And then plus we had producers. And so, but we have made it work somehow. So you cast the comedian Godfrey in the role of the love interest. 
we did so we knew we wanted a black guy forever we knew that that character we were like we need to show guys we need to just you know racism has to end with our generation <laughs> we're like mm-hmm. we're really big on this we're like it has to end and how do we do that I was like let's create a film and let's put a black guy as a romantic love interest with and by when yeah. I say racism has to end with our generation I'm also just like at large and then I also am just talking specifically to the Muslim community because sometimes I find the most racist of the racist are like brown people towards black people, okay. believe it or not. It really is. You know, there's just a lot of this internal racism because there's a large black people were in America. I think I read a statistic once that said one third of the slaves who came over were Muslim. So I don't know how accurate this is, but I have read this. And so, you know, I think black people were here before any of us were and Mm -hmm. there were Muslims. And what does that mean for us as a community? We are basically, you know, building off of their backs, right? But yet when it comes to, you know, there's like so much internal racism, we will in mosques and community centers and places, we won't accept black people, we'll be very judgy about them. Like, I'm hoping not my generation as much, but I think the older generation, I've seen it, I've grown up around this. Like a lot of the things the, you know, Khala's character says, the mom says about black people. Those are things mm-hmm. I've heard growing up. It's like, it doesn't come from no place. It's just, it comes right. from- Right, but, but, yeah. but I like that you you put that in there. You didn't shy away from it. You you had the mother make a comment and feel uncomfortable with it. And, and I like how Godfrey's character says, you know, there are black Muslims, you know, like we do exist. And what was that was so interesting to me because I know that I only have a pop culture education about your religion and your culture. I will admit, okay, which is messed up education, isn't it? Because it's messed very up right. education, yeah. and that's what I'm saying. And so, you know, I know about the Nation of Islam, yeah, Malcolm X, yeah, certain black people in the public eye who converted to Islam. You know, th- these are like pop culture. Yeah, things that are like flying around. And I actually didn't know that there was like racism or discrimination within the religion. I figured it was kind of incorporated. It's not religion. It's really not religion because the religion does not discriminate. The religion, you know, going back to the Prophet Muhammad's time, there's a whole, there's a story around one of his companions whose name was Bilal, who was a slave and the Prophet freed him. And this guy who was a former slave used to give the uh, call to prayer at the most prestigious mosque, you know, ever in the prophet's times, right? So the religion does says absolutely not to discriminate. It's the culture that does. It's all of our okay. cultures that do, you know? So I think it's really important to also make that distinction too here, you know, and I, and I think for people who belong to the religion and the culture, they will see the nuances that we're bringing into this. So, so again, like not to say this is how every Muslim family out there would always be like, you know, this is yeah. like culturally specific to a lot of the things that are happening in the film, you know, but I have to say like how treatment of black people across it's, I've seen this with our older generation where whether they're Arab or mm-hmm. Indonesian or Pakistani or Bangladeshi. Uh, I've seen yeah. it, I've seen it across. Yeah, so we were so lucky to get Godfrey, you know, because I hear all the time that Godfrey doesn't even, so that was through our casting directors. They were like, so impressed he even came in because they're like, guys, we send him auditions all the time. He doesn't even come into auditions. So- <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, and you know, and if you talk to Godfrey, he would just be like, he's like, yeah, I really resonated. Cause he's so much of his comedies about race. And he talks about a lot of the stuff that the film talks about, you know, the, interracial stuff and racial stuff mm-hmm. in America and all of that so do you know what his religion is by any- I don't want to say definitely okay. not because we talked about it but I don't okay. know what he believes in what he believes in but I yeah 
I'm not sure. Okay. I was just curious. Okay, but that so he turns down movie auditions left and right? He does, apparently. If the Who does up, that? You know, he does <laughs> that. And I was talking to him about it. And he was like, guys, you have to do that. If the stuff doesn't resonate with you, then you say no. Because what's the point? You're not going to, you're not going to yeah. bring yourself to it. Well, that's integrity. It's integrity. I mean, that is some serious integrity right there. Because right? I have done things that I wish I hadn't done sometimes. Right. And I'm like... <laughs> Because as, because like, as actors, actors need work. And, yeah, you, know, you just need work. And now I'm like, oh, I'm playing a Sudanese woman. This is weird. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I'm like, dang, I'm never doing that again. Because that made me feel really disgusting on the inside. Yeah. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ballgame. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ballgame. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning, and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. 
so there's a young actress in your film. I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce her name right. Selena Kurishi. Yeah, Selena Koreshi. She's amazing. Yes. Selena Koreshi. Okay, so she is the young, she's your younger sister in the film. And it was interesting because she is, I guess, the most observant or trying to be observed. So she wears the hijab when she goes out. Yeah. And and she's told in, in the household, you know, you shouldn't wear that with all the discrimination out there. And she says, no, 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 I believe in doing this. But what was interesting to me is that you showed that when she was home and she was not wearing the hijab, she looked like any other young 20 something girl. And so it humanized, it humanized it. Yeah, this is the thing. I think people see a young girl with a hijab and they're like, oh, oppressed, like what's up? But you know, I think what's missing from that conversation in America is like the young people who are doing it, anyone who's doing it, even the older people who are doing the women I know who are doing it. It's like part of their, for Muslim women in America, this is part of their identity. You know, they're like, this is who I am. This is my feminism and this is my mm -hmm. activism. And I think that is really something that's missing from the conversation. So that is very important for me personally, because I've, I grew up in a very mixed household. I'm one of three girls. There were three of us sisters. We're all very different. My mom has worn a hijab her whole life, you know, since okay. she was in her 20s and the whole, the whole trebang. So yeah, and I have sisters-in-law who have, and like, I'm just like, you know, and also as like a young person, I think trying to figure out your, your life, like I think a lot of us we talk about this a lot like I talk about this a lot amongst my own girlfriends too it's like a lot of us like flirted with the idea of it I did I was like oh maybe I'll cover up maybe I don't know what does that look like and I kind of wanted to use that because I feel like that story gets told in western media all the time where a girl covers up but then she takes it off in the name of western feminism often and those stories are okay. also yeah and they're also written by men you know they're interesting by women. <laughs> yeah which I find really fat because I I literally one at one point I had like three auditions in a row for a girl named Fatima who took her hijab off and I remember I remember it was one two three like one after the other and I I actually turned down that that's where, where I had integrity I was like I'm not gonna do this anymore because I think this is a silly story okay. it's just silly yeah well, men sometimes tell silly stories. Yeah. No offense to the men out there. <laughs> I'm I had to take that shot. We <laughs> sometimes tell silly stories. Yeah. I think when it's not your experience, when it's not your true lived experience, and yeah. you're trying to tell a story that you just like know from the periphery, it's always mm -hmm. going to be that. It's never going to be nuanced. You know, I think that's one of the comments we get a lot when we, after Q&As for our film for American Ish, people are like, it was so nuanced. And I was like, well, of course it was. Look at who made it. <laughs> like, you know, yes. diverse Muslim women made this. Like, we know. Well, you humanized for people that only have a pop culture education in uh -huh. your culture, in your religion, you humanized it, you, you humanized the, the characters. And it sounds so, I know that sounds like really stupid. Like, like, what, what did I think? You're not human. I mean, you know, it just, it's. No, but people do think that, or they think you're oppressed and you're abused yeah. and, you know, you're being told to put it on by men. So this was also very important to us to show um, Selena's character as somebody, you know, her own sister says, hey, don't wear it. She's like, wax your mustache and take off the hijab and you can get any guy you want. <laughs> we also keep it light. We were like, let's just also keep it light. That may right. have been something my sister said to me at some point in my life, I'm pretty sure. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
always being told to wax my mustache. I'm like, dang it, I have the South Asian hairy girl problems, guys, please. You know, and then the mom is telling her, and then there's, you know, the homeless guy who's also like, you know, it's like everyone in America is like, go back to your own country, like, you know, mm-hmm. that whole narrative. So we kind of wanted to layer it by like society's telling her, her family's telling her for various reasons. You know, the mom's like, it's not safe. The sister's like, you're not going to get a guy. You're right, right. Yeah. So it's just like, it's all these different, I think, pressures also put on women, young girls, you know, and what does that look yeah. like? Yeah. And how do you yeah. navigate And you also, so George Wendt of Cheers fame is in the movie. How did that happen? How, how did oh my you gosh, find we that? We got so lucky. We were just reaching, we reached out to him through our casting people. And then when he said yes, we were like, yes, he's the right choice, you know, because he has like, he's, he does comedy. He's like a second city guy. And it's so funny, David Rashi, who plays my boss and him, they knew each other from their younger days. They had worked together before, like on in theater somewhere, I think they were talking about, or they had been around second city stuff or people around the same times. But yeah, but it, he was such a joy to have. And he really leaned into the whole, Trumpiness of that character. (laughs) He was so so great. He was so awesome to work with. He really just also somebody who he mentioned this. He said he read the script and he really believed in it. He thought it was great and it was Mm -hmm. something so different and he wanted to be a part of it. So that was really so his character, George Wentz's character, is kind of a composite of kind of like, well, he's a a white supremacist, he's a bigoted politician, right? Kind of like, you know, I feel like people are going to hate me for saying this, but kind of like it's the Fox News, you know, vitriol, you know, all of that stuff. Sorry (laughs) if you're into Fox News, but I I don't don't know how else to describe it. It, It's again, it's that fear-based mentality. We have to keep America a certain way. We have to Mm -hmm. keep it a certain color, a certain culture, a certain religion, because these people are scary. They scare me. You know, it's that kind of thing. So what I want to ask you is, what do you think it is about the hijabs, the, the terminology Allah instead of God or Lord or Jesus or whatever of all of the different references, the, the visage, like what is it that you think scares, frightens certain people in this country? I think it's, I would blame pop culture. I think it's news and media. I think it's the way we show people those images, right? Because there's no difference between a woman who wears a hijab and a woman who wears a habit. It's the same. It is exactly the same way of covering. So why does one become a threat and then the other one is so pious and, you know, the epitome of like religiosity? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there's no difference. It's just how we have been taught to perceive it through news and media and pop culture. And that's why it was so important to me. I was like, man... I don't even know who who's coming to see the theater. It's like I'm preaching to the choir, you know? So I was like, how do I reach the masses? It's through pop culture. And what is pop culture in America? It's music and film. That's it. It's mm-hmm. music. You know what I mean? So I was like, okay, I'm going to pivot and I'm going to do film and I'm going to create this thing and I'm going to try to change this narrative that's out there mm-hmm. right now, you know, that's been created about us, not by us. I was like, what does the narrative look like when it's created about us, by us? You know, and this is it. That's Americanish. Okay. And so the hijab, I just want to make sure I, I get this clear because, okay, so Orthodox Jewish women, Hasidic Jewish women, of which I am neither, I'm, yeah, not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not that religious, but they believe in covering their hair either with some type of, some type of scarf or head covering or with a wig. 
yep. which they call a shadle. So yep. is it is it kind of is it essentially the same thing? It's just it's modesty. It's covering your modesty. hair. All of it is okay. modesty. You cover your hair, you know, cover arms down to here, cover to, down to your ankles. It's all the same. It's the same as the Jewish women do it. Right. Which, you know, I think there's like a hint of it also in the film, even after she takes it off, mm-hmm. she has trouble like showing like this much. <laughs> she doesn't want to show it, you know, so she's yeah. still, like covering down to here with her, you know, wrists and stuff. So because we we talked about this at great length, I was like, well, oftentimes the the narrative, you know, you see, I've seen so many films like this made in America, like the woman takes it off. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, she's wearing hot pants. It's like booty yeah. shorts. And she's like, one extreme Whoa. to the other. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? No, no, no. Because when <laughs> you decide to take it off, you see, feel so weird and seen. You don't just let like, you're not like booty shorts next. It's like so incremental. You're like, maybe my, maybe a little one ankle first, you know? Yes, yes. It doesn't have to be one extreme or the other. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's not booty short. So, so we kind of wanted to preserve that, the realness of what does it feel like when a young girl who's 21 years old in college trying to figure out her identity when she decides to take it off for personal reasons, what does it look like for her? So, yeah. So that was also a very important conversation. And to clear up a huge misconception that I think exists, religious Muslim women who wear the hijab, it does not mean that they're anti-West, that they're anti-America, that they don't feel American. I just want to get your take on that. They're absolutely American. And this Mm -hmm. is their feminism and their activism. You know what I mean? And she even, there's a point where she says it, where the mom is like, you should take it off because you're never going to get a guy. And then she's like, well, I don't want a guy who doesn't get my, Mm -hmm. this is part of her value system. You know, and it's interesting. And one of the other things we really wanted to also show with this film is like how the values look very different from one woman to the next. You know, it's not all the same because we're not a monolith in thought or in practice. It's just well, like, that's you know, like have you have you seen on Instagram? There's this post that's gotten passed around, and it says something like, "Feminism to some women is." like showing their body and feminism to other women is covering up their body and you don't have the right to tell that woman which one she should subscribe to now I don't know if I've seen I feel like this is something I've been saying for a decade yes (laughs) my motto for and this was the reason I created the show and this is the reason I have the woman in the hijab and like a lingerie held up to her body because there was this narrative that I was constantly not understanding in the media which was like if you wear the hijab you're so oppressed I was like no I'm gonna show you that's not true you're unoppressed and you can be sexy and you can still wear a hijab and you can still want the same things everyone else wants you know you can still want to go to college and have a boyfriend or a fiance and get married and get an education and go to Harvard and you know and have a career you can still want all of those things yeah so I mean again like I think sometimes you know like western feminism Mm -hmm. tells us that you have to take your clothes off in order to be a feminist, you know? They also say things like, I mean, I've also run into this, like I'm, I'm running into now like a younger generation of like 15, 16 year old young girls in America who feel if you wear makeup, you're not a feminist. And I'm constantly like, no, 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 no. Feminism is about choice. It is about yeah. choice. choice to put on your makeup, the choice to not put it on. The choice to wear the hijab or the choice to go naked if you want to like, 
Right. Choices. It's we cannot tell as women, other women, what to do with their bodies. Then there's no difference between us and the men who tell other women what to do with their bodies. Yeah. It's about being able to walk in your truth and being your authentic self. And by the way, not being fetishized either. You did a pilot recently called what 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 is it called again? It's Muslim Women DTF. Muslim Girls DTF. I love it. Yes. Discuss their faith. Not but the other DTF. Wink, 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 wink. No, wink, it's definitely wink. the other DTF. It's definitely the other DTF. But, but also discuss their faith. <laughs> right, right. No, because again, we're like, what is this crazy narrative? Like Muslim women don't like sex. Like, what is this crazy narrative? It's not even true. You know, also like, I mean, Islam as a religion is like sex positive. It's not like Catholicism. It is not like sex. It's sex terrible. positive. It's very much sex positive. Well, with explain get this, a, explain get married, get married and have a husband and then have all the crazy wild sex you want. It's that okay. way. Sex it's not like Catholicism in the way where it's like, it's a sin. It's only for procreate recreation. It's only for like, it's not right. like that with, within Islam, right? It's like, no, you have as much sex as you want. Like with your husband. With your so, husband, okay. <laughs> religion, religion-wise, religion-wise. Yeah. Now, culturally, things have changed, you know, right? Mm-hmm. Culturally, it looks different for women in, in the West and in America. And, and there are so many shades of it, too. And we have to honor all of them. Again, it goes back to, like, Muslim Girls ETF, but also, like, American-ish. It's, like, the girl who wants to save herself for marriage and mm-hmm. the girl who thinks it's just casual sex and we're just going to have fun and sleep around. And that's okay. You know, right. and there's no judgment. There's no judgment. And I really tried to like, to me, it's really important to like kind of bring all these um, different views to the surface without putting judgment on them. You know, mm-hmm. again, I don't think that's feministy for me to be judging like the woman who sleeps around and the woman who doesn't want to even kiss a guy until she's married. Right. No, judgment. no judgment on either one, because I think, again, again, it's about your truth live in your truth and live right. In truth. And I think right. that's important. That's really important for us to be teaching young girls that right now, because I'm coming across this younger generation who are just like, well, that's not feminist lipstick, unfeminist, you know? And I'm like, what? yeah, no, I didn't even know that that was a thing that was going this is on a thing. And because I'm thinking because I have a niece and I've seen it. So this is why I'm like, what? okay, no, what's happening right now? Yeah. Because I like pink dresses and heels and, and occasionally I like those things and occasionally right. no, you know? So I was like, that's not, but not- that gets into the conversation of, and I've thought about this like ad nauseum, but this gets into the conversation of feminism doesn't mean we have to be more masculine, compete with yeah. men, be, yeah. you know, be like men or play down our femininity. They don't play down their masculinity. They don't. Why do we have to play down our femininity? Because I think, you know, again, and I think that's like the corporate culture in the world that teaches us that. And again, like I kind of wanted to use the Sam character for that. And we had these long conversations with the Ingrid who came on board to originally do our hair and makeup. And then in the end, she couldn't because she was working on Orange is the New Black. So then she had to take because we switched our dates around. And so between Ingrid, me and like the director, we had these long conversations like, well, who is Sam? Like, what does Sam want to do? Sam is trying to fit herself in into this man's world so she's like stripping herself of her identity of her femininity of all of those things and by the end of the film that's going to be her big arc she's going to come back to all of those things her own identity her muslim identity her pakistani cultural identity her you know her femininity she's going to come back to all of it but when we start with her she has like tried to fit her which is this idea of like women we have to be more masculine 
And that is the yeah. only way. Otherwise, we're not going to make it. Yeah. So definitely, again, like that's definitely part of this character and this conversation, you know, and what does that look like in the corporate world? Because I think, I think for a long time, like women thought that's what they had to do. Yeah. And I've struggled with it myself. I've, I have found myself at times being tough, being tomboyish, aligning myself with male energy, male behavior, because that's like the strength. And whereas women are like more vulnerable and, you know, and then I had to come back to this place where I'm like, no, actually our vulnerability, our ability to feel such a wide array of emotions, our nurturing capabilities, like that is our strength. That is our strength. Absolutely. It's taken me a really long time to realize all of this stuff too, by the way. (laughs) No, I used to be like, well, you can't, like, I'm not gonna like, you can't bring emotion into a meeting. You can't do this. You can't be like the bad, like, you know, gotta be assertive, gotta be, you know, and it just took me so long to be like, no, because that's not me. And that's like me faking it. And like, if I, if I feel an emotion, I'm just going to live my truth. Mm-hmm. I want to cry in a meeting. I'm going to freaking cry in a meeting. That's what's going to happen today. You know, like, yeah, like that should be allowed, you know, in corporate America, like enough with the no crying at work. If something hurts, like, why can't, I, sorry, why can't you cry? Like, get a little teary eyed. It's okay. Just don't be sobbing. Teary eyed. Like that. Not lady. like wailing. Like, <laughs> yeah, a, you yeah, know, don't be sobbing through things and wailing, but, but <laughs> get a little teary eyed and feel your, feel the thing you feel. And it's okay. And it's only human. It's human. Exactly. Yeah. So with American-ish, so it's it's doing the festival circuit now. Is it going to be streaming on any of these streaming networks? Yes. So fingers crossed, really, really soon we'll have some news. <laughs> okay. But right now we're doing festivals through through end of November for sure. And I think December things are kind of slowing down a little bit. And then mm-hmm. hopefully early next year we'll have some exciting news. Okay, because I'm very excited at the prospect of people being able to turn on one of these streaming networks and have access to this film because it it really is like it's such an important conversation starter like I said before well speaking of religion and spirituality I think I know the answer but I may not do you pray and if so who or what do you pray to I do pray. I I feel like deeply, deeply religious. And I know in America, people feel like, oh, Muslim woman must cover her hair. You know, yeah, that must be it. But like, I don't yet. I fast and I pray. So I, yeah, I, I, I pray to God. I pray. I do the Muslim prayer. But, you know, there are so many times during the day I find myself. It's so interesting. Like, I just find myself just in my head just like making deals with God about various things. I was like, God, just give me this one thing and I promise I'm going to be so good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to feed the hungry. I'm going to like give to the poor kids. I'm going to be so good. You know, I do sometimes. It's so funny, but yeah, but that's just like part of how I interpret my own religion, I guess, in this bizarre Mm -hmm. way, you know, where I make deals with God. Yeah, but I also believe in like, I also believe in spirituality and the universe and like, you know, there's, I didn't grow up with Sufi Islam, which is more spiritual, but I do kind of believe in some of those teachings for sure. I grew up more with like a Sunni, very much like, you know, pray the five times to the one God kind of way. But, uh, but I do find myself like I have kind of found a peace within my own religion, within Islam in a spiritual way. Okay. It's funny. We are like two sides of the same coin because that is exactly, you know, I don't observe any of the hard and fast rules of Judaism, but it's very special to me, you know, and I'm very, and I'm spiritual with it. So you sound very, very much like me. 
same. I used to, there was a time in my life when I used to pray five times a day. I don't do that anymore, but I do pray like when it moves me to pray, I will do okay. the religious prayer that way. But then throughout the day, there are times I'm constantly, I'm like thinking about God. And I definitely am. I, I know it's odd, especially in like, in Hollywood circles to like, believe in God. You're like a weirdo if you do that. Cause no one's so real. No one else believes in God. Dude. People are like, are you stupid? Why would you do that? But no, I believe wow. in God. Old fashioned, but I do. But, but yet, but yet everybody thanks God at the Oscars and the Emmys and the Grammys. You know, like God is good. You know, like, come on, please. Give me, give me a break with that. Maybe it's the cool thing to do is to say you don't believe in God. I don't know. Hypocrites. Yeah. <laughs> Hypocrites. Well, it's also such a New York thing, too. I find a lot of people in New York, too, especially in like the artsy intellectual circles. People will not believe in God. Too cool for school. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Got it. Noted. <laughs> if you could travel back in time and alter one historically famous event, where would you go and what would you attempt to change? don't know how to answer it because you know why because I think about this sometimes I think about my own life and how historical events have shaped it like I wouldn't change anything about my life or my parents or their aunts or my grandparents so I don't know I think about that I don't know if I would change it because I like where I am and and I wouldn't have had the life if they hadn't had those lives you know like my dad was born in India and my mom was born in Kashmir and my uh, mom's dad my grandfather was in the British army at the time because mm -hmm. the British ruled India and Kashmir was part of India. And so their families migrated to Pakistan in a very bloody way, bloody my, my mom's family, less bloody because they were part of the British army. So they could peacefully go over. My dad came with his family. He was little and he remembers, he was old enough to remember he in a train that people were the Hindus were pulling the Muslims out of the trains and stabbing them, <laughs> you know, and, and vice versa. The Muslims did the same thing to the Hindus yeah, yeah. on the other side, but this is just the side my dad remembers. So when I think about all of that trauma and all of that history and like how they, they just lived in poverty for years, my dad remembers this. He didn't go to school until he was so much older. Like he was nine or 10 the first time he ever like went to school, I think just mm -hmm. because it was a turmoil. Like there wow. was, yeah. Cause it was a new country. They didn't have the means. They didn't have food. So he would like spend the day, he talks about this, it's heartbreaking, like collecting old bread. And then like his mom would boil it down in water and that's what they would eat for like one Jeez. meal. And for years they lived like this, you know? So I, I do, I think about all of this history and there's so much turmoil. And, and I grew up in Mississippi, man. And I think about all of that history in Mississippi, right? Which is mm -hmm. so interesting, like growing up in public schools in Mississippi, I was taught there was slavery and Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. Yay. <laughs> yeah. It's so like overly simple. Like, yeah, the Disney version. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know about like Selma. I didn't know Selma was just like a couple, few hours away from where I grew up. I didn't know about it until the film came out as an adult. I learned about that history. I mm. did not know about Juneteenth. I learned about that as an adult. I just, yeah, same. I just didn't know. So yeah, it's such a tough question. Like, I don't know what I would change though. Okay. But I like your answer. I like just everything that I got. I always say like, there's no writer. There's, this is not being graded. Yeah. It's not you being know? great. I know because I like, school and I like to get an A. So I'm always like, Oh, she asked me a question. I have to get it right. But yeah, I, I don't know what to change because I think experiences and those like the, the tough experiences that we go through in life and our parents go through and our ancestors have gone through. Those are the experiences that have led up to this point. 
you know, for, for me to be where I am in life. And I wouldn't change where I am in life in any way. I wouldn't. Okay. I think I'm so lucky. I get to live an artistic life every single day. I'm Absolutely. so lucky. I get to tell stories. Amen you know, to that. Yeah. Because I know so many people and I almost didn't, I almost did. I ended up getting stuck in that Google life right? I didn't get to tell stories. So I feel like just really lucky every day and thankful. What do you think you came into this life as Aza Fatima to learn? And what do you think you came into this life to teach? That's a tough question. God, I'm getting all emotional now because I think (laughs) it is an emotional question because I think about all the women who came before me. Oh, man. Who couldn't tell their stories and they weren't allowed to. You know what I mean? It's like, Yeah. yeah, because of circumstance, because of where they were born and and in what they were born into and the era you know you're born in the 1950s versus the 60s and the 70s and like so many women in so many places didn't have a voice so I think for me it's just like being able to give a voice to those sorry no no dude I cry all the time You're, you're making me feel better about myself. We should be allowed to like cry in meetings. This is why. <laughs> no, I do. I do think about this all the time. I feel like this responsibility, yeah. you know, to just to somehow like leave the world a little bit better than I found it. And I think for me, that means through storytelling, That's through perfect. amplifying voices of women who, who didn't get to have a voice, who came. Perfect. That's it. Awesome answer. Okay. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to throw out a word and you're going to tell me what you associate with it, what comes to mind, okay? <laughs> okay, got it. All right, health. Oh, family. Money. Fame. Okay. <laughs> Sex. A regular human need. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Love. Family. Death. Uh, hard parents. Art. Creativity. Okay. You know what, dude? You got an A plus. Okay. No. You got an A plus. You made my day. I won. I won. Thank you. Okay. So I loved your film, Americanish. I'm very excited for you because I think it's really a game changing film, and I want to thank you so much for an amazing interview too. It meant a lot. Thank you so much. This meant so much to me because we were just like talking about feministy things the whole time and I didn't expect to. So that was really awesome. Thank you. You we never were- know where it's going to go. This was so lovely. Thank you for a great chat. Bye. Of course. Talk to you later. Okay. So I don't know about you, but for me, this was such an eye opening and important interview. And I'm so excited for everybody to hear it because, again, what she said about really changing the narrative up helping people to really get to know who Muslim Americans are, because like I said to her in the interview, we live in this quote-unquote Judeo-Christian society, and so it really, the propaganda with that is to make everybody else feel like other, right? Like, you you don't belong here, you're not one of us, you don't fit into this mold, and we're afraid of you. You know, it's, it's that whole thing, and I think she did such a phenomenal job in this interview, hopefully by the facilitation of my questions, but she did such a phenomenal job at really demystifying her culture 
daughter and her religion, which is just, you know, an amazing feat considering everything that's going on in the news media. So as always, I'd love to know what you think. Leave a review, leave a comment in the review section. I love hearing what people think, especially of specific episodes, because it helps me to really understand where people are at and what they enjoy listening to. And I will catch you on the next one. Peace. Peace.